Welcome to Innovative Interactions, a show by Resemble AI where we talk with makers, tinkers, and creative people to find out about the tools, tricks, insights, and techniques they use to bring their best ideas to life. Perry Tell started his career as a member of the hit band in the 80s called Figures on a Beach. Before becoming the CEO of Potato, he was the founder of Inmoji with clients like Starbucks, Disney, Viacom, Facebook, Universal Studios, before being acquired. He is now the CEO of Potato, an award-winning digital product development studio, which develops purposeful and effective digital products and services that have a positive impact on people and the world around them. With clients like Google, Mozilla, Royal Bank of Scotland, the BBC, and Cambridge Audio. All right, Perry, I appreciated the nice off-record uh, off introduction, talking about music and everything. And so just to share with everybody, um, you're part of a very successful band, which is, you know, an amazing thing to go from that into uh, the field of digital marketing products and experiences. So love if you could share a little bit about how you found that some of your early career experiences translated into the business world of digital products and experiences. Thank you, Matt. Um, yeah, I played uh, in rock bands pretty much from when I was 15, 16, professionally through till when I was in my mid thirties. It's a, it's an unusual job, um, but it was, it was good fun. And, and I didn't think I was learning a lot at the time, but you really do learn a lot about business and dealing with uh, people and, and how deals get done and, and for better or for worse. And um, for me, Everything I learned, if you think about being in a band or being a musician, is creating a product. So it actually lends itself really well uh, to where we are today and, and what we're creating now, which is digital product. I mean, we were uh, varying forms of digital <laughs> technology in my career. But um, yeah, I think the same characteristics apply, which are who are you as an artist and what are you emoting out to your audience while also trying to understand your audience and let that feedback permeate you so that you can deliver uh, something meaningful back to the audience. And the, I, the tactics of making a record and releasing a record are not dissimilar from any brand creating a product and promoting that product out into the world to an audience. So. I um, find the parallels really congruous. They're really easy to, to map for me um, because that's what I learned on was just music and, and music product. And now here we are in a digital context, but we're doing the same kinds of work. So now at Potato, where you've, congratulations, recently just became the official CEO of North America. How do you lead a company that is responsible for building digital experiences for some of the top brands in the world to at the same time stay on top of te technological innovations and find useful applications for your clients? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, I think, I think firstly, products, product design and development we always uh, sort of break down what is product design and development. 
Because if you're making a coffee machine, you see one product, or if you're making a car, it's a pro it's there are many different kinds of products, but at the core, what's the common denominator thread? Designing products is only about solving problems at its core. And how you solve the problem will determine whether or not the product is successful. And how the users who ultimately will use the product uh, can offer feedback and how you can interpret that feedback will also go into making sure and determining whether that product uh, will be successful or not. So we never sort of look at, well, this is a huge brand like Nike or Pepsi uh, or Google and say, well, we should design like this um, or it should be this because it's them. It's never driven around that. It's always about what is the challenge before us? What are the problems? that need to be solved. Um, and we have a hypothesis and we go about proving or disproving those hypotheses uh, by talking to real users. So we go through a, a, a really a quick rapid validation process where we, we can prototype really quickly and put it in the hands of users and get that feedback loop going because they will drive a good product. It's not that we possess this great skill of knowing what product needs to be built or created. It's always the users coming and us synthesizing what they're telling us into design. Um, and it's the same process, irrespective of the brand or the category. Uh, it's about which problems need to be solved. And, you know, apologies to my clients, but they always think they have a problem that needs to be solved. And sometimes we find that that isn't the, the core problem that needs to be solved. So that this process that we go through on the front end that we call shaping is where we discover um, all of the potential problems that need to be solved and put them in a hierarchy of importance. And that way we can drill down into what really is the existential threat to a company or the absolute need for the user or whatnot. And then we put them into a, 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 an equation by which we can go about and sort of make the right choices to build product. And so on that note, Obviously, we know that we have devices in our hands, on our desks, we have TVs, everything is smart today. And what are you seeing that you guys, in collaboration with some of these excellent leading brands, uh, are finding that users and, and consumers, what kind of experiences do you find that people want to engage with? Uh, well, I mean, it's a tough question to answer because, of, again, it's it's about user need and it's about value for a marketplace or filling gaps that exist uh, where there's a consumer gap. So identifying a consumer gap and filling that gap based on user commentary is, is always a good way to go. I think it's hard because um, there are times when we will go forth into the world and say we've identified a gap. We should create a product or a segment for this because this is a this is a home run. And let's go match up the right brand with this opportunity. We we do that sometimes, but that's more the exception than the rule. The typical is a client comes to us with a problem to solve or a product to build, uh, with some built up thinking and hypotheses that we get to prove, uh, enforce, disprove, you know, reinforce, or whatever the case may be. And then we go about mapping out the best way to get from 
you know, conception to actually having something that's useful in the marketplace. And so a couple of the technologies that you guys work with are VR and AR, right? Where something that could, in theory, be a buzzword, but something that you guys have found several practical applications for. Where do you see VR and AR at currently and where you think it can go in a practical level? Yeah, so mixed reality, uh, augmented reality, uh, virtual reality, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me, artificial intelligence and algorithmic driven uh, apps are really interesting. Uh, they've come a long way. There's a sort of good altruistic side to these things, and there's also that sinister, futuristic, Orwellian side to look at, right? Uh, which is, um, what do these things mean? Good for bad, bad for good. Best example is these, um, there's these new vaccines that they're putting in people that actually alter your DNA, which seems harmless and great. We get a vaccine and we're free of the COVID. Um, but what happens if they can actually go back into your DNA later and make alterations or get data from your DNA? Um, this is a similar thing that happens in apps, as you know, um, and the AI uh, things that are happening. Uh, it's all about data, um, data driven, but also data reporting coming off of it and data exhaust. And what does that data mean to privacy? And what does that data mean to ordinary people? As we signed up for, uh, we signed the privacy, um, we signed away on the waiver for Facebook or Instagram. And we're like, cool with that. But meanwhile, they've got deep data and are creating really strong meta profiles and personas on all of us. And we've allowed it. We've enabled them. So uh, what does that mean in the short term is not sinister. Uh, but what it could mean in the long run could be sinister if it falls into the wrong hands or the wrong practices. So AI, VR, AR are really interesting uh, medium. We've just launched a, a program called Fictioneers, which is um, a motion picture that we've done with Ardman, which is um, the people who do Wallace and Gromit. And that program is essentially a movie story like you would see in a theater or on TV, only it's split up into 30 day increments, which you go out into the world and are sent to different locations where there are uh, VR and AR uh, applications and visuals scattered throughout various towns and cities where you might happen to be or where it's rolled out. And it's getting a lot of attention right now because it's a unique way of storytelling. And it's a, it's a fundamental recalibration of the typical visual storytelling medium. So, you know, AR and VR really play a role in our ability to rejigger the deck and to think differently about how to entertain people how to keep and uh, keep their attention and engage them. Um, at the same time, there's an adoption curve. So, you know, we have a lot of work to do in terms of getting people there. It's not, as you know, it's not cheap to have really good VR glasses and it isn't for everyone. Uh, and also there's a novelty effect to this where people try stuff, but they don't stick with it. So the content has to work with technology. The technology has to work with content. And so, What's great is that there's been tremendous strides in this over the past few years, and we're seeing really interesting trends on it. And uh, this this is one of the first ventures that we've done 
as a spinoff to Potato. Uh, it's now a joint venture uh, with AKQA and Ardman. And, and so we've just launched that this week and there's a number of clips we can send you. Philosophically, I don't look at AR, VR as a platform any differently than I look at any other platform. Uh, we look at what is the best solution for to solve the problem, irrespective of, we don't go, we should do something cool with AR and VR today. We say, what is the problem we're trying to solve today? And then we go and we look down all the list of what's before us and what technologies are available. What's the best way of solving those problems and engaging whatever the users are telling us they need. On that note, what are, so when it comes to some of those problems or whether they're good or bad problems, what, what kind of problems do you think are best suited for AR and VR? I, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, I think, you know, I've seen recently this, uh, I can't remember the automakers using uh, AR for um, dashboard viewpoints to give uh, a lot of data points. I think there's a real usefulness to that. Um, things that create utility, I think AR really lends itself well to visual utility. So that, that's one of the best examples that I've seen. Um, there could be safety applications to that. There can be um, all types of health monitoring things that we could do. I could see um, in the same way that uh, they use uh, really uh, nano microscopes to go into human bodies to do operations. I can see where AR could become really vital in helping the medical profession and, and in biotech. Um, like everything else, um, it's early days. And so, you know, we don't know how much traction or where it goes, but it's exciting, exciting to see where we're at. Um, I go into all of these technologies somewhat skeptical. Uh, I have a tendency to be early on technologies and early in my career, I learned that you can be too early. So now I've become a little bit of a uh, Monday morning quarterback and then I like to watch and see how things evolve and then uh, figure out how I can fold that into my clients' needs as they, as they arise. I like that idea of utility as well in that, you know, every, like you said, every new technology, it can come out and be an expensive pair of glasses, whatever it might be. And then there could be some gimmicky, non-sticky uh, applications, but some of the utility aspects that you just mentioned are very useful. Uh, and then finally, transitioning a little bit outward, you guys also work in the voice search and skill space uh, what kind of experiences have you had with that so far and where do you see that in terms of the problem solving and application space so i think i think voice as an interface and is really interesting we we've been a, a pioneer in that space and there are other agencies who do it really well um, there's a, several things to think about there there's the skills themselves there are a lot of companies and agencies that are developing skills uh, for alexa for example um, and those are interesting, but the engagement on them, you know, kind of like you get some attention and then it sort of dips down. And for Amazon and Google to some measure, they have these devices in everybody's home. So there's a real interest in them driving people to use them. So finding sticky applications uh, are really important. Uh, we've been exploring deeply this idea of appliances which are things that connect to your Alexa device, 
but that aren't your Alexa device. So your Alexa device is a little hockey puck on your counter, perhaps, or, or a thing with a screen, but it doesn't move. And so out of sight, out of mind. But there are other things that can connect to that via Bluetooth or by another other RFID and other types of mechanisms that can enable other things in your house to be interconnected with that Alexa and, and can still be communicating with and through the Alexa. Amazon has a great interest in this idea because they're trying to find, okay, now that we have all these units in home, how can we then take that out and get people using these more? Um, so we're exploring that, you know, how can uh, alternative hardware that syncs to an Alexa drive that engagement? Uh, the skills, of course, are important. Um, it is. It seems easy to build an Alexa skill, but it is actually conversational design. Uh, and people think, yeah, we'll just throw stuff up there and see what happens. So we'll throw a Disney character, or we'll throw a, you know, a cartoon character up on the thing, and that's great. Um, but what's going to keep, you know, people engaged? What's going to keep your kids engaged? What's going to keep them coming back for more once the novelty wears off? And so that conversational piece, you know, thinking through conversations and how they would naturally evolve, building in algorithms to affect that and to manage conversation flow, that's really where that's heading. Um, and I think it's it's more complex than it, than meets the eye because there's a lot of subtle nuance in language and in conversation uh, that people use. So we've been studying that a lot. And we, we're more into best practices and strategy in the voice realm right now than we are building things out. We, we are in the midst of a, a rather large project with a toy manufacturer where it's building an appliance that actually does communicate as though it were an Alexa, but it is actually uh, separate from the Alexa unit. The idea there with the ability to connect with the stagnant, stagnant in-place device is that it increases the interaction with the overall voice kind of infrastructure where you're now having the actual conversation, but really keeping in mind the user sticking to actually continuing to use it. Is that what it's kind of pretty much going for? Absolutely. There's a great example. Um, I can't remember which diaper firm. It was a diaper firm. And it was like, well, what could the voice application possibly be for diapers? And if you're a parent, you know that uh, the first time you have your kids, you're panicked and you don't know always what to do. So we, we leveraged it as a guide for new parents to be able to ask questions in that point of emergency that could help them figure out uh, disposal methods or, you know, what they're doing to, you know, and obviously um, selling products for that particular brand in uh, to build brand affinity was part of that. Um, but it's, it's an interesting challenge. Uh, finding those things. If a diaper company just said, hey, let's have the voice thing and let's talk to kids, it's a little creepy. Like, wh wh why would we be talking to kids about their diapers? They're really not engaged. But the parents, that makes sense. Um, so again, brand had a problem. How do we use this technology to further engage our customers? Is there an opportunity uh, for us to connect? And how would that, you know, how would that happen? So, you know, uh, that's the kind of challenge we would do, look into how we would get there. We did not work on that particular solution. That's not from us, but it's a great example of utility. 
uh, and and need uh, breaking out into a brand that wouldn't obviously seem like it would be built for a voice skill. Yeah, I like that application. It sounds like really it's meeting you where you are needing some help, where now you have some actual interaction on a meaningful level. Harry, thank you for making this time answering some real questions going into 2021 and beyond. Anybody that wants to check out Perry and his company, Potato, the agency's work, P period, OTA period, T-O, coolest website domain ever. Um, and so thank you for making this time, Perry. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Innovative Interactions Podcast. For more tips from creatives and innovators, or if you'd like to reach out to us, visit resemble.ai. And if you have a guest you'd like to hear from, reach out to us at podcast at resemble.ai. We'd like to thank Tony and Paul for the music on the show. Catch you next time.